So this morning, the, the message on is, is marry to love, not for love. Marry to love, not for love. And we're going to cover two things. I just have two points. That doesn't mean it'll be any shorter, sorry. But I just have two points. Uh, myth number one, love is a feeling. And, and truth number one, marriage is hard. Now, you can actually, you've heard the whole ser- sermon. Now you can leave, right? Um, but don't. There's more. But wait, it's a late night commercial. Um, so... A couple of weeks ago, uh, I did the wedding for my niece and my nephew, um, Claire. It was, just, it was an honor. It was a privilege to, to be able to do this, officiate. And they met on an app called Bumble. Anybody heard of Bumble? Um, I hadn't, you know, I don't know much about them. Um, but anyway, there's this thing on there, apparently. You get a free extension on it. And so I think uh, um, my new nephew uh, was, you know, had showed some interest in my niece, and I think she passed by. And he used his free extension to get her on, on the app to get her attention. And uh, and she was like, oh, this guy used his one free extension on me? And so I got to check him out and learn more about him. So she checked him out, and so I said, so there we go. If Bumble didn't have one free extension, we wouldn't be standing here. But... <laughs> um. But really, you know, what's, what's, what are these things about? These things, or at least the good ones, are, are claiming to help people find love. Right? We live in a culture that we're, we marry uh, to love. We marry to find love. This is a, the Pew Research Center study was done in 2019. It says 88% of Americans state love as the reason to get married. Now, I happen to think love is a, is a good reason to get married. I mean, after all, the very character and nature of God is love. So love's kind of important. Uh, if you want to know what the greatest love relationship in the universe is, it's the father and the son. That's the pattern for all love to follow, laying, laying one's life down for the other. So the fact of the matter is every single one of us need love. We, we were, why? Because we were born, we were created to image God, which means we were created to image love. But we're born in a world separated from God, cut off from love. So we're living our whole lives trying to get the very thing we're cut off from. And we do everything we can to try to put everything in there to try to fill that void of love we know we're missing. And we've developed this culture where we marry to get what we're missing. Rather than going to the one who is the source of love, God is literally our source. And when we make another person our source, we put them in the place of God. And then we set ourselves up for failure. So um, one of the things I do when I'm working with a a new couple, I I told Claire and Anthony this. I told them, I said, listen, um, uh, I'm looking forward to the day where we actually celebrate this and you make the covenant, you make the commitment. However, I am much more interested in the day after. And my niece, with her sense of humor, she was like, you're interested in our trip to Japan? I said, well, yeah, I'm interested in that. But I said, no, listen, one day, it's not about us getting to that day. It's about getting past that day. It's about the rest of your lives. How do we build a foundation in your lives to face what you're going to need to face, to, to learn the, some foundational principles because you're not going to know everything, that you can then use to build a relationship where you learn how to be loved to one another. And so that was our goal. That's what we did. And so we start off with a Bible study. And I'm not, 
uh, and hopefully over the next couple of months, we'll be going through lots of these things. But this morning, I'm going to introduce a couple of things. But what's fascinating to me is this. We're just going to look at two foundations. Where is marriage first found in the Bible? Where is it first found in the Bible? At the very beginning. Marriage, the marriage of a man and woman is the crown and glory of creation itself. Let me say that again. The marriage of a man and a woman is the crown and glory of creation itself. It's God's final act of creation. God does not call creation very good until he completes the creation of the marriage of the first man and the first woman, the whole basis for famine. A woman and man joining together as a husband and wife is literally the foundation of all human life. And we learn, and, and, and if, you, if we do the study some other time, ask me, if you do the study, well, this, is what you diff- this is what you learn. This is what the scriptures actually teach us about marriage. Marriage reflects the very image of God. The two coming together is one. Marriage demonstrates God's purpose for Christ and the church. Paul said, you, I, you think I'm talking about marriage. I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church, Ephesians chapter 5. And marriage is literally the plan of God to create flourishing on the earth. So here's the thing. This is what fascinates me. This is contrast. There is no institution more important for our flourishing. And at the same time, it's the single most intimate personal thing that can happen in any relationship. So this single most important thing that can happen in a relationship with another human being is literally what it takes for us to survive and flourish as humanity. We don't understand how big of it is. This thing is, we get it right. How important it is. Which also means when we get it wrong, what do we do? If you want to destroy the image of God, if you want to to put a cut into the plan of God, if you want to bring destruction to humanity, do one thing. Destroy marriage and family. Redefine it, recreate it, get rid of it. Every single one of us here knows that personally. Every single one of us here has been touched by the destruction of marriage and family in one way or another. It's not just the truth of the scripture, it's the reality of this world. So, there's lots and lots of things we can talk about. I'm just going to talk about two foundational things, two very simple things. One is a myth. Love is a feeling. That's a myth. Number two, marriage is hard work. And there's a whole lot, hopefully, in the next few months we can build on, next couple months, on these foundations. Already have been. Um, so, number one, love is a feeling. Myth. Myth one. See, um, you know that uh, sense of euphoria? That infatuation you get when you meet Prince Charming ladies? Yeah, you know that knight in shining armor? Yeah, that's not love. Guys, you know, you, you have met your fairy tale princess. You know, guys, you know, when, when the first time you're wanting to ask her out and your palms are sweating and you're shaking and you don't know what to say and you're terrified and she's been just waiting for you to do it. No, no. Yeah, uh, that ain't love either. That bliss you think, that you feel every time when you're separated, you can't wait to be back together again, and you think, oh, this bliss, this wonderful bliss, this thing, that's just what's going to get me through all of the lows in life and the highs in life, and this is what it's all about, right? Yeah, no, it's not going to work. Fact is, study. we've actually studied this scientifically because we study everything, right? 
That lasts, if you have it at all, it lasts 18, year, 18 months to three years. That's it. And then you need something else. Not someone else, something else. You know, infatuation can be good. But it can also be um, selfish. We need to recognize it for what it is. Don't call it love. I mean, it's, it's what, you know, can begin the journey of love. But it can be selfish. How, do you, how, can you, how can you say it can be selfish, right? Here, here you go. We all know this, right? So you, you, you finally get up the nerve. You, you feel like you're, you love this person and you've got all those emotions going on. You finally get on the, up the nerve and you're going to go to this other person and you're going to say, what are you going to say? You're going to say, I love you. And when you say it, what are you waiting for the whole time? You didn't say it to tell them you loved you. You, you love them. You said it because you want to hear them tell you they love you. Look, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's bad, necessarily. It's just not love. I love you. <laughs> yes, we can't take the silence. We're waiting. It's got to be filled. But I'll tell you what love is. Love is when you walk in the room and you see that other person and you've just had a fight. You go, I love you. And you walk out, not waiting, because they're probably not going to tell you anyway. But anyway, <laughs> look, the fact of the matter is, you know, we crave that. And many of us are aware that, love's, uh, um, that love is more than a feeling. Many of us are aware of that. Many of us know, you know, we say, the typical thing we say in the church, right, love's an action. It's something you do. And we all know that. But I'm going to show you a different side, I hope, that maybe you haven't seen it this way before. All right. I'm going to use an example. When I use this example, at first it's not going to make sense. But stick with me. We'll, we'll actually get there. I remember that when I very first started walking with the Lord, and I was an adult. And I began to get an understanding of the, the holiness of God, the, the, the goodness of God. And the more I got to see how good God was, how holy he was, how other he was, the more I looked at my life next to his life, the more I went, oh, God, I got a chance. And I started to be flooded with all the thoughts about people I hurt. The ways I denied God. The ways I acted that separated me from him. I was up late at night. And over and over, I, I, I'm just crying out. In, I, 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 and I, it's very hard to express the depth of the despair I was feeling because I really could not understand how God could forgive me. And I cried out over and over, could you even possibly forgive me? How is that possible? That kind of beauty that kind of goodness compared to this? I'm going to tell you, it was so real and so profound. God began to speak to me by his spirit. Psalm 32, Psalm 32, going through my mind. And I kept pushing it out. I kept, literally kept pushing it out. I know it wasn't me. I'm, like, What's I'm trying to talk to God right now. I don't know, Psalm 32. Finally, the Lord spoke to me. I didn't realize it was him until afterwards. Finally, the Lord spoke to me. He says, what would it hurt to read Psalm 32? I guess, I guess it wouldn't hurt anything. 
And I open up, I turn to Psalm 32, and it says, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, to whom God does not count his iniquity. He could not have spoken louder if he did it out loud. It hit straight to my heart. I dropped my Bible. I fell on the ground. I began weeping. And can I tell you, great emotion flowed over me as I experienced the forgiveness and the love of God. Great emotion. But that emotion was not God having an emotional feeling, trying to give me an emotion. That was God who demonstrated his love by dying for me. That was God demonstrating his love by the fact that when I was doing those things, hating him, living as his enemy, living opposed to him and against him as it says in Romans 5, that's when he demonstrated his love. We all know the scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God wasn't feeling love. God was giving love. And when I experienced it, yes, there was great emotion. Now a lot of people are going, what is that, you know, Jesus died on the cross. What does that have to do with love in a, in a marriage relationship. What, I mean, talk to me here. What's going on here? Well, we need to follow that example. Now, why would we need to follow that example? Because it is the exact example Paul gives us in Ephesians 5. It's what Ephesians 5 is all about. When Paul describes the love in marriage, in this love letter from him, he literally uses Jesus giving his life for the church as the example of what that love between a husband and wife should look like. I, I am, listen, I am done, not that I really ever did it much anyway, but I am done apologizing for what the scripture calls the husband and the wife to be about in Ephesians 5. Wives voluntarily yielding and considering their husbands. Husbands willingly laying their lives down for their wife. What does Paul say about that? No one ever hated his own flesh. Why does he get own flesh? Because the two are called to be one. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. How? Just like Jesus does the church. Do you want the example of love in a marriage? It's Jesus going to the cross. Here's your definition. Here's your definition for marriage. The husband and wife act, acting for the highest and best for their spouse, even when it costs them. The husband and wife acting for the highest and the best for their spouse. Now, by the way, like I said, you can apply that in any relationship. Because that's what love is. That's what Jesus did. So what does that tell us? I'll tell you simply what it tells us. You don't marry because of a feeling of love. That's a myth. When you marry someone, what you're actually doing is you're taking on the responsibility of loving that person. You don't marry for love. You marry to love. Look, anyway, think about the example of Rebecca and Isaac in the Bible. Isaac was Abraham's son. Now, catch this. We're going to read this here. Um, 
Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah's mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Now, what's fascinating about that verse to me is this. He had never met her before that. In fact, if you look at the text, he might not have even known what she looked like because she put a veil over her face. He married her and then loved her, the Scripture tells us. Oh, a lot of us are going, I'm glad I'm not in that culture. But get the point. He took on the responsibility to love her because he married her. Young people, this is why it's so important to choose wisely before you get married. You're not marrying to get something from them. You're marrying them to take on the responsibility to love them. We choose wisely because you're picking a person that you're going to have the responsibility to love the rest of your life. You see, the fact of the matter is, you owe your spouse the responsibility to love them. Now, somebody's going, where do you get that? It's very simple. It applies to all of us. Turn, turn over to Romans 13. Look, look what it says. Owe no one anything. I know you're saying, it says owe oh, no anything. Yeah, but except to love them. Except to love them. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, here's the thing. That's the kind of love that takes you through the deepest lows in life. That's the kind of love that takes you to its greatest heights. So number one, love's not a feeling. Oh, it can be accompanied with great feeling, but it's not a feeling. It's a responsibility. Love is a responsibility. All right, number two, truth. Marriage is hard work. Here's a true story. This actually happened. It's a professor at Cambridge University, and he stands up before, the, uh, before his class, and he says to the students, he says, listen, I'm here to tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, that marriage is hard work. And so one student uh, was, was sitting there listening, and he turns to the student next to him, and he says, uh, who wants to be married to someone who thinks it's hard work to be married to them? <laughs> The other student says, yeah, yeah, ask him. Go ahead, ask him. Says, uh, yes, young man? A professor, um, who wants to be married to someone who thinks it's hard work to be married to him? Um, uh, young man, are you married? Uh, no, sir. He said, then sit down and don't talk about anything you don't know anything about. Actually happened. Marriage is hard work. It's a fact. Dr. Jordan Peterson, he puts it this way. The quickest way to discover how selfish you are, get married. That laughter is married people. The one thing, I told this, I actually said this in the wedding. I said, there's one thing I can guarantee you in your marriage. One thing I can guarantee you. Conflict. You ready to take your vows? <laughs> But here's the thing. You don't want your marriage to be free of conflict. Why? It's very simple. You're not perfect. And conflict becomes your, this, your opportunity to discover your imperfections. Where's that in the Bible? Let's turn over to James. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's telling you, I'm bringing conflict into your life. Why? So you can discover where you're not perfect. And improve. Now, I know somebody might ask, why in the world would I want to discover my imperfections? That hurts. It's very simple. Very simple. Because your imperfections, my imperfections, contribute to the suffering of the world. You don't think so? Ask the person you just cut off. Ask the person you were mean to in line. Ask the person you cussed out. Ask the person you had no patience for. Ask the person you lied to, you stole from. Our imperfections contribute to the suffering of the world. Here's the thing. When we become better, we make the world better. Why? Because we're literally demonstrating the kingdom of God. You know, I've been working in, like I said, we went to boot camp this morning. been been there for been doing it for I think about 14 years we've been going except for COVID a couple of years we didn't there's a there's a statistic it says this that 75% of the people who are incarcerated when they come out they go back in 75% but do you know what is the one thing if they do when they get out that uh that stops that rate from happening get into a good healthy marriage Isn't that interesting? Why? Because you're living by the principles of God, and simply living by the principles of God makes you better. Even if you don't have Jesus in you. Now, do you need Jesus in you? Yes, you need Jesus in you. That's our desire. That's what we hope. That's what we want. But even when we bring the principles of God into the world, it changes the world. You don't think so? The whole concept of the dignity of a human being, the human, the 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 the, the um, United Nations uh, Organization on Human Rights. Where did all that come from? The world didn't believe any of that before Jesus. So you get conflict in your marriage. And when you have taken the responsibility to love the other person, now the hard work becomes how do I go through that conflict in a way that builds up rather than tears down. Now when you go into a marriage because you want to get love and you get into conflict, you tear down. But when you go into a marriage because you're there to give love and you get into conflict, now you try to figure out ways to build up. Now you begin to examine yourself. Now you begin to say, how can I be more like Jesus in the middle of this? So what are some of those ways we build up? Number one. Understand love is a responsibility you owe the other person, not a feeling you're trying to get from them. I'm in the middle of conflict. I'm going through hard things. I'm going through hard, difficult, difficult times. I have to stop in the middle of it. Now, I got to say, okay, right now, I am not feeling very cheerful. I am not feeling very kind. This person, I woke up this morning, I had one nerve left, and I'll be darned if you didn't get on it. And then I've got to go, but I am here because I owe that person love. Okay, 
I don't have the perfect answer for what we're going through, but let's wrestle with this and struggle with this until we can figure it out. Because that's what love does. You think you have to feel it every single time? Why did Jesus tell the parable? The father came to two sons. He said, go work out in the field. The first one said, work out in the field? You're kidding me. It's hot out there. I'm not, it's Houston. Why would I go work in the field? No. But later on, after he got to thinking about it for a while, he goes, you know, I, I, I need to go work in the field. He goes, the second one comes along. He says, son, go work in the field. He goes, oh, dad, you're awesome. You're wonderful. I'll go work in the field just for you. When he walks away, he goes and does what he wants. Which one did the will of the father? The one that felt it or the one that did it in spite of what he felt? Number two. So Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love them for, for the one who loves has fulfilled the, the, has fulfilled the law. Number two, want a way to build up? You need to be all in. One plus one equals one, and that's good math, biblical math. And a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One plus one plus one. That's the cross, by the way. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We have become one with Christ because Jesus was all in. You see, when you're all in and you're going through conflict, you only have one choice. Figure it out. That's the only choice you got. When you're all in and you're going through conflict, you only have one choice. Figure it out. There's no other option. Number three. Uh, so uh, this is um, Ephesians five twenty nine. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Jesus, Paul is literally telling us when we do that, we're literally feeding and nourishing ourselves. Number three, living in forgiveness and humility with one another. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one thing you need to learn before you get married is forgiveness. <laughs> You're going to need it. You're going to need it. Not once, not twice. You know, when, when the apostle said seven times in one day, I'm glad Jesus said 77 times. Because some days I've needed 77. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, I know in marriages you never have a complaint against another, right? Why is it so quiet? Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Look, here's the fact. There's literally nothing in life that's worthwhile that isn't hard work. Every single one of those is hard work. But there's nothing in life that is, that is worthwhile that isn't hard work. We, we, we tell our young people, we train them up, right? Well, you know, you, know you, need to, you need to go to college. You need to spend thousands of dollars. You need to put hours and hours into work. Or you need to, you need to be uh, work in your career. You need to put all kinds of hours and time into it. Why? Because we value it. We go to gyms. We spend all kinds of money on clothing and hair and skin care and all these other things in our appearance and what we look like. Why? Because we value it. We put all kinds of hard work into these things. Why? Because we value them. What makes us think 
we can go before an altar, say a few words, exchange a few rings, leave and live how we want. We don't value it. The fact of the matter is, if you're going to have a real relationship, it's going to take hard work. We have to figure it out. And it's worthwhile. Just like everything else that's worthwhile. I like how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Here's how you do it. You want it? Here's your secret right here. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. There you go. Husbands, consider how to stir your wife up to love and good works. Husbands, wives, consider how to stir your wife up to love and good work. Did I say that right? What do we got? Okay. Um. Larry Neese is in town. Many of you know Larry Neese. He told us a story just the other night. I love this story. One of the things they major on, and he's, a, for those that don't know, he's a, the international director for Kenya Ministry Training Institute in Kenya, East Africa, and he's been doing it for the last 30 years, and they've seen generational changes come up and just amazing work that the pastors coming out of that ministry has done. And he said several years ago, um, a couple, few decades ago, there was one pastor who had a wife, and she was literally milking eight cows a day, twice a day, by herself, no help. And he's a pastor. And she was, um, she had four kids to take care of, and she had to take care of all the cooking and everything. And when I say take care of the cooking, we're talking about cooking on a fire, open fire. She had to get started, go get everything, and make happen. And he, he went there and says, what are you doing to your wife? What are you doing to your wife? Is that loving and caring for your wife? Do you let her do all that work? They're not helping at all. Says, By the way, if, the Bible says, if husband, if you don't learn how to live with your wife in an understanding way, God's not even going to hear your prayer. Check it out. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Wives, write that down. Anyway. So the pastor started to help her milk the cows and started to help do other things, these hard, heavy chores and things. He came, he came back. He said, oh, my goodness. Musse, Larry, my wife has changed. She's moto moto. I mean, she's excited about me now. Before, she was Buridi Sana. She was called Larry said, she hasn't changed. You changed. You changed. You've got choices to make. Are you going to compete with each other or are you going to complete one another? Are you going to say it's going to be my way or the highway? Are you going to figure out how these two roads that you're on, you're going to bring them together and make them one? I want you to imagine for a second what a relationship looks like when you can turn conflict into companionship. What does that look like? I'm going to close with a story. One more story. So I told you I did this wedding a couple of weeks ago. My sister was in the hospital at the time and I was visiting her. I think it was day 26. And she was really disappointed because she wasn't going to be able to be there at the wedding. And she had a very close relationship with our niece, who's our brother's daughter. And um, 
And so I, 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 took, I literally took the ceremony up to her, and I'm going through it page by page, and I'm talking about her about things we're going to talk about, and we're talking about the wedding, and she's getting excited. And so we ended up discussing marriage. My brother-in-law in the middle of all this says to me, he says, I have a real hard time when people talk about marriage and think they use pictures like 50-50 or even 100-100 when you start trying to keep score about how well you're doing. It's not about how well you're doing. It's about you doing what you need to do because you're a part of this relationship. This is coming from a man who's getting up at 5 in the morning and going to bed at, late at night as he's taking care of his wife and going through all these things and my parents living in the house. My sister, looking at all the difficulties she's facing, she says, here's the thing. Life's going to throw some really, really hard things their way. Fact of the matter is, absolutely impossible for them to know everything they're going to need to know to make it. They cannot know that. But if they take seriously their responsibility to love their spouse like Christ loved the church, they commit to being all in like the cross. They're willing to live with humility and forgiveness with each other just as they've been forgiven. They're willing to put in the hard work of what it takes to build that relationship. Now they'll have the foundation now they'll be able to face those difficulties that are low in life. And they'll also be able to experience those emotions in the intimacies of the greatest highs. That's what it means to marry to love, not for love.